0: About Pastor Alvin, so I appreciate you all uh, listening to him and interacting with him. And he he was very glad to be here. It was nice to know I didn't make a mistake calling a ministerial student to preach for us one Sunday. Um, And I hope you all learned something not just from the Word of God. You know, the more you interact with the person who's preaching, the more fired up the preacher can get. So, it was, it was a lot of fun, and he had, he had a very good time. He, said, he sends his thanks both for the opportunity and to spend time with you guys. Going back, though, we're talking about mistakes again and how God can use us even though we're making mistakes. Today we're going to be talking about Gideon and God freeing the sinning people through Gideon the judge. Now, we, as usual, we want to make a distinction. There's a difference between a sin or a misdeed that needs forgiveness and a mistake. That just might need to be corrected. Misdeeds are intentional. Mistakes are not necessarily intentional hurt or rebellion. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that doesn't mean Jesus can't save us. In fact, he can. And we all make mistakes. But that doesn't mean God can't use me or you to accomplish great things besides our, despite our mistakes. Now here's the thing that I realized looking at Gideon. It's not always some action that makes a mistake. Sometimes it starts with an attitude. My attitude can be mistakes. And with Gideon, we're looking at the attitude of fear. Now fear itself is not a mistake or a sin. It's a natural instinct. It's for our protection. I fear something because it could hurt me. And the thing is, fear should always lead us to action. It generally does. Now, the action I choose because I fear, that might be the mistake. Because I may run into the danger instead of away. I may freeze when I'm supposed to run. So, Fear itself is not a mistake, but the action that springs from my attitude of fear might be. There's a, a meme going around on the, on the Internet. It says, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it says, you know, when, when things get tough, I think, what would Jesus do? And I go hide for three days. Now, we know that's not quite accurate because Jesus didn't go hide for three days. In fact, for those three days, everybody knew exactly where he was. He was dead in the tomb. It was after the three days that they couldn't figure out where he was. He rose from the dead. But this idea of, oh, things get tough. I'm just going to go hide away. And that's not always the right action. I want us to look again at our scale that I talked about two weeks ago, about how we move from fear to confidence. On the one end of the spectrum is, is cold feet, that's the fear. Then there's confusion, where we have some doubt. There's concern, where we have belief and unbelief at the same time. There's confidence, where we're just doing, yes, we're doing this because God is with us. And then there's conceit, where we think, well, I don't need God. Now, a person and Gideon, we're going to see, this is not just one thing where you have to be at just one point. Gideon's all over the place at the same time. It is consist, Gideon is consistently described as afraid. All through Judges chapter six, seven, and eight it says Gideon's afraid. Gideon's afraid. Gideon's afraid. So Gideon's afraid, and so he's down there at the cold feet stage. And yet Gideon is also confused and doubting because he doesn't seem at first to expect God to save Israel, but he knows that God can. He certainly doesn't expect to be used himself. He's concerned because he believes in the Exodus. And so he asks God for help in his unbelief. He's, he's all over those first three all at the same time. He's scared. He's confused. He's concerned. So this is not just some thing where you're only at one or I'm only at one thing at one time. But here's the thing, despite his fears Despite his confusions, despite his concerns, Gideon still takes action. What we're going to see over and over again in this story is is the text says Gideon is afraid, and God says, are you going to take action? I know you're afraid, but are you going to take action? I don't know if anybody's watched MMA in the past. The the ladies champ for a long time was Ronda Rousey, and she was very tough. She would put her opponents in this armbar, and they would just tap out. Very tough. And she said in an interview one time, people say to me all the time, you have no fear. And she says, I tell them, no, that's not true. I'm scared all the time. You have to have fear in order to have courage. I'm a courageous person because I'm a scared person. This is a tough lady. I know she could take me out if we were going to get into a fight. But she says, I'm scared all the time. Because she knows the people she's fighting against are just as tough as as she is. But see, I've got something in my corner that's tougher than an arm bar. So we can be encouraged because God can use me and God can use you even if we're afraid. And we're going to do something a little different today. Normally all the scripture text is up there. But I want you to be engaged a little more. So hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, there's Bibles under your seat. I put them down there. Uh, what we're going to do is I'll read the text and you can have your Bibles there and follow along. If I'm going to go to a different passage... They'll be up on the screen. That way you won't have to flip, but you can follow along with me. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted crops... The Midianites, Amalekites, and Qutamites came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. And they and their camels were without number. And they entered the land to lay waste to it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. His son, Gideon, was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if you were one man. Then he said to him, If I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from half a bushel of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out and offered to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone, and pour the broth on it. So he did that. Then the angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And it is still in Orpah of the Ephraimites today. So the first thing we're going to see about Gideon is, we can take for ourselves, is sometimes we're afraid of living deprived. Afraid of living deprived. You know, the Israelites, again, are in this cycle. They've become disobedient to God, and their wickedness has led the people to now being oppressed by the Midianites. The Israelites are abandoning their cities to go live in the mountains and live in caves and live in whatever strongholds they have. They can't hold their cities, they can't hold their farms, so they're going to either to hide out or in the most fortified places that they have. The interesting thing is the Midianites, along with their allies, they're not killing people. They're not going out and just making war and killing a bunch of people. They are destroying the livelihood of the people. They're going through, they're destroying or kill, or, or taking all their crops, destroying or killing all their their work animals and their livestock. They're destroying their livelihood, their ability to live. And I was thinking about that. Sometimes it's scarier to think about living with less than just dying. When I'm dying, I don't need any more food. When I'm dying, I don't need a house. When I'm, when I'm dead, I don't need all these things. But when I'm living, I need my stuff. And some stuff is not just stuff. I, I need food. So do you. I need some money so I could buy essentials. And the Midianites are destroying all their essentials. They're making the Israelites homeless. And that's scary. These people don't want to kill us. They want us to suffer and then die. And so in this situation where the people are afraid of living deprived, the Lord sends a prophet to remind them about how God delivered them from Egypt and the Exodus and to remind them that the gods of Midian are no greater than the gods of Egypt and that the armies of Midian are no greater than the armies of Egypt, so God can still save them and he will save the obedient. And then we get this character. The angel of the Lord comes and sits under an oak tree, near where Gideon is treading wheat in a wine press. Now we don't have the time. We could spend a whole Bible study just talking about who the angel of the Lord is. Okay, the, when we see the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, as opposed to just an angel, this is God. Okay, I could spend quite a bit of time showing us all the verses, but. I don't want to preach for an hour and a half, okay? When the angel of the Lord shows up, that's God showing up to actually talk to somebody. And so God shows up to talk to Gideon, and he's doing something odd. He's threshing his wheat, which is something normally you do in the wheat field where the wind is blowing. You get your pitchfork, you throw up the wheat, and the chaff blows away, and the wheat falls down. He's doing it in a pit. The wind in a pit. He's threshing wheat in a pit. He's hiding his food. If I if I separate my grain, my wheat from the chaff in a hole, maybe the Midianites won't see me doing it, because if I'm throwing it up in the air, they can see that from a distance. Oh, somebody's got some wheat over there. I Think we'll go steal that or burn it. And God says to this man who's hiding his food in a pit, greetings, mighty warrior. Probably doesn't feel much like a mighty warrior hiding in a hole in the ground. And Gideon has his questions. Gideon says, I believe in the Exodus, but where is God now? How can I be a deliverer when I'm the youngest person from the smallest tribe? Nobody follows the youngest. And so he requests a sign to know that this information is correct. I believe, help my unbelief, I'm afraid I'm in this pit, and I've got some concerns because God's not delivering us now, but give me a sign so I know this is true. See how he's all over the spectrum right now all at the same time? And so the sign he asks is for him, is for him to wait while he brings him some food. He brings a young goat and unleavened bread for this person to eat. This is interesting. Gideon brings food to this man that he doesn't realize yet is God. And what was Gideon most concerned about at that point? His food. He's hiding in a pit to keep his food. as a sign, he's going to give some food. And he offers this food to the angel of the Lord who tells him, I'm not going to eat this. Put it on this rock. Make an altar. Put the bread on there. Pour the broth on there. And the angel of the Lord touches it with the staff, and it's consumed as a fire, as an offering. And then that's when Gideon realizes, you know, this is no ordinary messenger. This is not just some prophet. This is God. Only God accepts sacrifices. And he says, now, now he's afraid of something else. He's gone back to being afraid because no one can see God and live. I'm dead. And so God says, no, peace, you are going to live. And that's a confidence he can take, not just having seen God. He says, if you can see me and live, you can see the Midianites and live too. See, he's come to a place in the end where once he's more afraid of God than Midian, or more afraid of God than being small, if God says he's gonna live, then he's gonna live. So he's gonna go to war. God says, I'm gonna live. Sometimes people are afraid. Back when they first got electricity in the White House of the United States, President and Mrs. Benjamin Harrison, they were so intimidated by the switches on the wall, they wouldn't touch them. They were afraid they were going to get electrocuted. So the servants had to do the light switches. And if there were no servants around to do the light switches, they slept in the light. They were afraid. This is something new. Back when I was a youth pastor, actually, this was just as I was finishing up uh, in my hometown. Um, our church, Benicia Bible Church, had voted to merge with a, another uh, church called New Harbor. Both Baptist churches, very—I mean, very almost exactly the same on all their beliefs. So they said, "Why are there two churches that are practically exactly the same in the same town?" Let's just become one church. It was a very good move. But what was happening is the church that I would have been a part of, our pastor had moved on to somewhere else. And so the pastor was going to be the pastor of the other church. And there was fear. We're going to lose our church. Even though there was this hope that God would do something great, there were still some people that were very much afraid. We're going to lose what we have. We're going to lose our name. We're going to lose our identity. What if there's more of them than there are of us? Fortunately, that fear didn't stop them from doing something that God wanted them to do. See, being small does not mean that I'm not strong. Being small doesn't mean we're not strong. First Corinthians one twenty seven puts it this way Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So God uses small stuff. God uses weak stuff. God uses little stuff to make big changes. In the world, Paul writes about his his own speaking in later on in First Corinthians uh, two one and two. He says, "When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." When Paul first came to Corinth, he says, "I didn't come with these great speeches." It says i talked about the weakest thing that there was a man died on a cross but that weak thing became the strongest thing because that man that died on a cross rose again from the dead simple things small things can change the world see with god on my side i win If God says I will live, then I live. So we can be encouraged. Because God can use me and God can use you even if we're afraid. Because He says we're going to live. So it goes on. Judges chapter 6, we're going to go to verse 25 through 35. It says, On that very night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this mount. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's family, and the men of the city to do it in the daytime he did it at night when the men of the city got up in the morning they found Baal's altar torn down and the asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull offered up on the altar that had been built they said to each other who did this after they made a thorough investigation they said Gideon son of Joash did it then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the asper pole beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead his own case because someone tore down his altar. That day he was called Jerubabal, since Joash said, let Baal contend with him because he tore down his altar. All the Midianites, Amalekites, Cushites gathered together and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Jezreel Valley. The spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Abyssalites rallied behind him. He sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, who also came to meet him. There's another thing to be afraid of. Afraid of others' dissent. See, God's first command to Gideon is not to go to war, but to bring the people to repentance. And this is something that Gideon doesn't mention in his first part as to, well, why are you calling me a mighty warrior? Why are you calling me to do this? Gideon's own family were idol worshippers. His dad had a hill with an altar to Baal, their fertility god, and an Asherah pole, Baal's consort, right there on his, that was Gideon's dad's worship place. And so God says, You got to tear that down and build a proper altar to God, to me there. And so Gideon takes two of his father's bulls to make the sacrifice to God. They tear down the altar of Baal. Now why do you bring two bulls? Probably one was a work bull to help tear down the altar, and the other one was a sacrifice. So they tear down the altar of Baal. They cut down the Asherah pole. They use the wood from the Asherah pole to make the fire to sacrifice the sacrifice to God on. So he does, and he builds this sturdy altar to God at this place that used to be a pagan site. But he acted at night. He took ten servants with him, and they went at night because they didn't want to get caught. But he did do it. God didn't say he had to do it in the daytime. God just said he had to do it. But he was still a little bit afraid of these people. So he gets his servants... He says, we'll go out at night, get the two bulls under the moonlight, and we'll do all this. And he did do it. He was still afraid, but he still acted. And in the morning, people get up, and they see the bell altar torn down, and the Asherah pole is gone, and it's all burned up. And there's an altar to God there with a sacrifice that's been burnt. And so it says they investigate what's going on. Notice Gideon wasn't standing up there saying, I did this. He waited to be found out. It says they had to do a thorough investigation to figure out who did this. Apparently somebody snitched on Gideon because he wasn't taking credit. They caught him. He was still afraid. And the men of the city want to kill Gideon. They go to get He's still hiding out because they don't find Gideon. They find Gideon's dad. Bring out your son. He tore down the altar. He cut down the asherah pole. And Gideon's father, Joash, is pretty smart. I think he's had a moment of repentance. He basically says, you know what? If Baal is so tough, let Baal kill him. They said, yeah, that's kind of right. Huh. For God is tough, our God should kill somebody who defiles his altar. And so they renamed Gideon Druvable. Somebody who fights with Baal. Said, let him fight with Baal. And if Baal wins, we'll worship Baal. You know, Gideon did it at night. He waited to be found out. But he did stand up against Baal. Baal didn't kill him. Why? Because God said he's going to live. it's interesting, his work that he did is kind of an illustration of the battle that's going to come. They're going to go out at night with just a few guys and destroy something and build something. So what happens after this? The Midianites, Malachites, and Ketamites gather together, and Gideon sees that all the enemies of God, or of Israel, have gathered together in a place. So Gideon blows the ram's horn. And he sends out his messenger to call out troops throughout this region of Israel. False gods on one side, the Lord on the other, and the battle's going to happen at night. Gideon has done a stealth attack. Stealth attacks pretty much always happen at night. It's a good way not to get caught. (laughs) Something else that often happens at night is prayer. You know, prayer for the lost often happens, the person doesn't even know you're praying for them, right? I'll gladly tell somebody I'm praying for them, but they don't always know exactly what they're, I'm praying for them about. When I pray for different people that I have relationships with in this community for them to come to faith, they don't know that I'm doing that. <laughs> it's a stealth attack. But I'm doing it. I'm fighting for them at night. And then I talk with them during the day. Matthew 6.6, 6, Jesus is talking about praying. He says, when you pray... Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in, who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There is certainly time for public prayer where we pray together. And there's time to pray stealthily. There's time to pray at night. There's times where we just go to God and do battle. Be encouraged. God can use you and God can use me even if we're afraid. It's okay to fight at night. I'm going to jump up to chapter 7. Judges chapter 7, verses 8 through 15. They are getting ready to go to battle. It says, So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 troops, who took the provisions and their trumpets. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That night the Lord said to him, Get up and attack the camp, for I have handed it over to you. But if you are afraid, oh, there's that word again, if you are afraid to attack the camp, go down with Pura your servant. Listen to what they say, and then you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he went down with Pura his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. Now the Midianites, the Malachites, and all the the Kittimites had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, Listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley came tumbling into the Midianite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. His friend answered, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to Israel's camp and said, Get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. Sometimes we can be afraid of our own destiny. Now, we skipped over how Gideon got his army. He had a lot of people to start with. And God whittled down his army, whittled down his army until he only had 300 300 guys. And there he is. He has 300 men. It's nighttime. Israel's army is on the mountain and Midian's in the valley. They've got the high ground, that's good, but they don't have enough people. It's a great setup if they had the numbers. And it's now that God says to Gideon, attack. He says, and if you need it, there's some encouragement for you. If you're afraid, go down to your camp with your servant. So Gideon is afraid. (laughs) So he goes down to the camp with his servant. And on the way, he looks down the valley and he can see all the army of Midian he says there's so many he can't count them it's like a swarm of locusts it's like sand on the sea there's a lot of people down there and he hears two men talking one sharing a dream that he had I dreamed a loaf of bread roll down into the Midianite camp, and this loaf of bread knocked down a whole tent. And the tent just completely flipped over and destroyed from this loaf of bread. And his friend says, I know the interpretation of that dream. That loaf of bread is Gideon. And that means Gideon is going to destroy the Midianites. God has handed over the Midianites to Gideon. And Gideon overhears this, and he, so he tells his 300 men, let's go fight. His encouragement came from a dream that God gave to somebody else. And Gideon listens to that message. We don't even know who this person was. Somebody at the outpost that was just kind of watching the Midianite camp. lookout. Look out. You know, sometimes all the confirmation we need is the word yes. Now, for me, you know, I was, I was talking to someone just this week who was who's a non-Christian. Uh, actually, it was a week ago before I went out of town. I said, do you want to go out to lunch? I'd like to go out to lunch and just like hear your story. And he said, yes. I was like, cool. So I've been praying for this man. And when I got back in town, I saw him and we scheduled our lunch. I say that's not scary having lunch with somebody. You gotta remember I'm an introvert, and so I've got. I just went to my class reunion. There was too many people there. I like all the people that I graduated with, but so here here's a perfect party for me. Three to six people. Three people is enough to where I don't have to keep all the conversation going myself. And six is not too many where I get overwhelmed. Three to six people. That's how I like to party. Two people, unless I'm with my wife, that's not a party. And so it's kind of scary for me to ask this guy, Hey, let's just meet you and me get lunch. Tell stories. He said yes. I pull out my calendar. How about this day? Yeah. Okay, going to lunch. Now now until we have that lunch, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to stealth fight him or fight for him. <laughs> Here's the thing if God speaks to you or God speaks to me about something, he's likely speaking to somebody else about that too. Think of the church council in Acts chapter 15. Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas are coming back and they say, hey, this is happening. The Lord's moving on these people. And there's some other people saying, yeah, but shouldn't they be Jewish first? And they're trying to figure this out. And then Peter says, well, the Lord's been speaking to me too. I went to this guy Cornelius. Spirit came on him. And they end up saying, yeah, Gentiles can participate. And let's look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He writes to the church in Philadelphia. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true One, the One who has the key of David who opens and no one will close and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, this verse relates right back to the beginning. It says, where Gideon was afraid of being small it doesn't matter if you're small. If God opens the door, the door is open. Nobody can close it. So don't be afraid of your destiny. Walk through the door. It's up to me to walk through it. You know, when we read the prayer of Jesus in the garden of gethsemane and he's he's praying I can't read that and not see he's scared and just like our first point how we're afraid of you know living with less Jesus is not just scared of dying He's scared of the process that will lead up to him dying. He's scared of the type of death that he will have. This is going to be a very bad night and next day for Jesus. The soldiers aren't just going to come with a sword and stab him through and it's over. But it's his destiny to save the world. it's my destiny to tell the world that Jesus saved the world walk through the door be encouraged God can use me and God can use you even if we're afraid be afraid of living deprived afraid of another's descent afraid of our own destiny there's a story of a Boy, he's five years old, and his mom says, go to the pantry and get a can of tomato soup. He says, Mom, I don't want to go in there alone. It's dark. I can't reach the light switch. She says, please go and get the can of tomato soup from the pantry. He didn't want to go. She persisted. She finally just said, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. So the boy goes to the pantry, he opens up the door, and it's dark in there, and he doesn't want to go in there. So he starts to back away, and he gets an idea. He goes back to the pantry and says, Jesus, if you're in there, will you hand me the tomato soup? saying, Jesus is in all the scary places but he's not just going to hand us the soup. We've got to go through the door. Let's pray. Our God, the shepherd of Israel, who leads his people like a flock, God, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, you who shine your light on all the congregations. Today I ask you to rally your power and come and save us, just as you did for the people enslaved in Egypt. When you rescued your people, it was as if you dug up a vine from Egypt, you cleared the land and planted them in a good and fruitful, peaceful place as you drove out the nations So, Lord, when we feel like we are broken down and our livelihood is being picked away by every sort of creature and circumstance, we ask you, God of armies, to return. Look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine, your church, the root that your right hand planted. Revive this church that you make strong for yourself so that we, the branches of the righteous branch of Jesus, can reach out with your life and strength to others. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.